Well, good morning, Harvest Lancaster and Harvest Fairfax. Is that not so cool that we can say that? I love this. I love, you just got to understand, uh, we love this church. Uh, Carissa and I were reminiscing on our way up last night over all the times that we've gotten to come and worship here and the relationships that we have built. And we love what God is doing here. And, and if I could just say this, we shamelessly steal ideas from you. I hope that's okay. Like, Kind of figured it would be easier for us to ask forgiveness than permission, and so we just do that, and um, we love what God is doing. My kids were here just a couple weeks ago doing Camp Rock. I just got to say, y'all are insane, and I love it. it. It's incredible. They were having a great time, and uh, our church in Fairfax, we were just finishing up Go Beyond, and uh, we were doing that, seeing the ministry extending down there and, and, and reaching out into our community. We love what God is doing and how much we have learned from you, all right? And I love, love, love Pastor Jerry and Robin. So thankful for their friendship. And uh, you guys know you have a good pastor, right? You know you got a good one? Love Jerry, love Jerry. Uh, but um, can I confess something to you for just a minute? Can we have a moment of confession? Is that okay? Um, I know we're trying to get to know one another, and so uh, this might feel super awkward, but I'm just going for transparency like now, okay? Um, when it comes to Jerry, I struggle a little bit with jealousy, all right? First off, I'm jealous of his hair and, and for, for obvious reasons, but I'm also jealous of this pulpit because, I mean, like when I'm in Fairfax, we preach on a music stand, and, and so I'm told that that essentially means your, your theology is worthless, and so I have no idea why Jerry would even ask me to do this, but when he called me up a couple weeks and said, hey, man, I'm going to be in Kuala Lumpur, and I need help preaching, would you? He floats this idea out here like, you come preach here, and we'll send it back to Fairfax, and his question to me was, is this a crazy idea? Like, if you have to ask, right, like, <laughs> yes, it's a crazy idea, but I love it. I, I don't know if we can. I have no clue if this is possible. I'm not, I am not a tech guy. I don't, I'm not good with computers. I'm not good with fixing things, setting things. In fact, I have uh, none, zero manly skills whatsoever. And so I realized that we are completely dependent on uh, the various gifts of the body being used to pull this off. I'm so thankful for their competence and their willingness. Are you thankful for your production team? You know what? When, when, when it comes, they, they deserve this thanks. When it comes to the production team, when you think about it, would you just pray for them, okay? Because they're the ones that get stuck with all the work when we get jazzed about these crazy ideas. But it's such an incredible blessing that I get to come and say these words, the best words that you will hear all week. In fact, um, I'm thankful that I have the confidence that these words are spoken every Sunday in Fairfax and here in Lancaster and in Myerstown. Here it is. Let's open our Bibles together. Let's open our Bibles and go with me to the book of Romans. Go with me to the book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And while you're turning there, I just want to reiterate this. I love you and I love what God is doing in the Great Commission Collective. What he is doing in these churches here in Lancaster and Fairfax and Annapolis and Ashburn and Kuala Lumpur. And how cool was it to celebrate the launch of Vertical Church, Melbourne, Australia today. And uh, I was getting texts from Nate at 1.30 in the morning. Were you getting those as well? That they were launching. Love being a part of this. Partnering with churches. That, that, that God would get so much glory as we get after this mission of making disciples around the world. 
And we want to be churches that are worshiping and sending churches. We just think that if, if, if this vertical worship of our great God is happening, it will propel the horizontal advancement of the mission. But here's the deal. We stand up here a lot and we, we say things like this exists, like here's who we are, this is the kind of people. That, here's the deal. If we are going to be able to say that genuinely, that, that we are worshiping and sending churches, then that means that we need to be churches who are full of people who are worshiping and living sent. And that means you. So are, are you, where's your heart at this? Are you, are you growing in your love for Christ and that you would worship him only and that you'd get after the mission and be a bold witness wherever it is that God has placed you? Are you completely sold out to Christ? He wants all of you. Or, or would, would, would anybody be willing to admit like, well, I, I probably have a little bit of work to do. Not quite there yet. I have some things in my life that need to change. Anybody, anybody admit that? Okay, me too. In fact, if you didn't think that you had any work to do, you will after we read this. Romans chapter 12. Uh, are you there with me? Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Here's what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Father, I pray that you would, in this moment, you would help us to submit to your word. Lord, we want to see victory. We want to see that change happening in our hearts, and yet we would admit we are completely dependent on you. And so I pray that your spirit would even be present among us. Would you convince us that this is worth it, that, that you are glorious? Would you encourage our hearts to surrender to you, that your people would look more like Christ, and that in all of this, you get the glory? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I think the underlying imperative here is right there in verse 2. You see it, that, that he's saying that we need to be transformed. Uh, Paul gets to this point in the letter, and what he's trying to say is, hey, it's time to live differently. There are some things that need to change in your life. Check that. There's some things that God wants to change in you. That, that God wants to change me, that he wants my entire life to be transformed so that it is a life of worship and obedience to his mission. And if you've had a week like mine, then, then maybe some things have risen to the surface that God's like, yeah, that's got to change. Or there's that area that you've been wrestling with, that thing that you've been struggling with. God's like, yep, we're going to work on that one too. What is it that God wants to do in your heart? What does he need to change? And, and can, we just, can we just be honest for a minute? Does that scare you? Does the thought of God having to go to work on you, does that scare you at all? Like, 
Like, I know there's some things that I need to change in my life, but the thought of letting God in and do that, it's kind of freaky because it's going to hurt, and that's going to be uncomfortable, and it means I'm going to have to surrender. It means I'm going to have to stop squirming and fighting and just admit that I've been serving myself and I'm not thinking right and that my heart is not fully devoted to him. I'm going to have to submit to him and say, yes, God, go to work. I want my life to be yours. But the question that we're asking this morning is, why would you do that? Why why would you surrender? What would motivate me to surrender to the work that God wants to do in me. Well, I think you see it right here in the text. If I could give you a big idea, here it is. Note this. Here's the answer. It's God's mercy. It's that God's mercy motivates me to surrender so that he changes who I serve and how I think. Maybe you didn't even realize that he's going to go to work in those areas, but he wants to do a work changing you this morning. And so I think we're going to see uh, three decisions if you want to surrender to God's work in your life. Here's one. Note this. Let mercy be your motivation. Let mercy be your motivation. He says here, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. You just hear Paul's heart in this that, that he's appealing to them. While there's a sense of authority, he's about to move into this rapid-fire commands and application, but he wants to do it in, in gentleness, that it's based on this loving relationship that I'm appealing to you as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we will belong together. And yet this verse is, is a massive transition in Paul's letters. You know this, that in, in most of Paul's letters, it, it, he kind of structures it in two sections. The first half is all the doctrine And then we get to the practice. Like, here's what you need to know. Now, here's what you need to do. And so, when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, um, here's a Bible study tool. This is free. Whenever you see the word therefore in the scripture, you need to ask the question, what's it there for? You've heard this. Awesome. Because what he's saying is it's pointing back. He's building on what what has already been said. He's trying to make application of the argument that he just made. Because I said this, now therefore, this is what you need to do. So man, we really got to know what he's talking about. Thankfully, we don't actually have to go and just read all 11 chapters right now because he summarizes it. Here's what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. There's a summary of the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. I love that. Here's how he's trying to sum it all. Everything I've been saying can be said like this. God has been merciful to us. And in order to understand mercy, he's been pressing on us the weight of sin, that we are dirty, rotten sinners who deserve the wrath of God. I deserve judgment. And none of us have an excuse in that. But here's where the gospel, here's where we begin to understand that God can save you from your sin. That even though you are dirty, even though you are a sinner, he can make you clean. He can make you righteous by the work of Jesus who died in your place. You know what that means? That means you don't have to die. That you don't have to suffer the wrath of God because your sin has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
What he's been trying to help us understand is that we are we're justified. We are made righteous. We are saved by his grace through our faith in Jesus. Wow. Man, I don't deserve that. That's mercy. God is merciful to sinners. And so when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, the therefore is connecting the dots between the good news of the gospel of God's mercy and why that compels us to live differently. Why should I surrender to God? Why should I obey him? Well, well, obviously, the fact that God is holy and that he commands us to be holy as he holy, that's motivating a little bit. Because when I think about it, it helps me understand sin is a really big deal. God is a holy God, and when he commands me, when he says it, that settles it. I want to be obedient. That's motivating. It's also motivating to know that that Jesus is going to return soon. Praise God. Looking forward to that. And when he does, I'm going to have to give an account of my life. And if he's coming soon, then that means I don't want to be falling asleep when he shows up. So, man, that motivates me to get after obedience. I want to be obedient. But the greatest, the best motivation for my surrender and my obedience is his mercy. Because mercy stirs the heart. Man, when... When somebody shows me mercy, it makes me say thank you. Has anybody ever showed you mercy? All right, we've already been on this confession thing, so I'm just going to say this. I have received so much mercy in my lifetime because I have this really bad habit of introducing myself to uh, the same person like five times. Uh, maybe not that much, but, but like, I don't know, I, I, this happens almost every Sunday where I go up to somebody and I'm looking at them like, I don't think I've ever seen you. And, and before I can stop myself, I just like put my hand in there and I'm Jeff, it's nice to meet you. They're like, yeah, I know. We've met a couple, few times, actually. <laughs> we were talking about this last Sunday. I'm like, really? Oh, there's no recovering from that at this point. Like, I, I could use all the excuses in the book like that. It's a lot of people, and, and, and I'm just not good with names and, and faces and trying to put those things together. Like, it, it doesn't matter. At this point, I'm a jerk, all right? <laughs> Apparently, we've been talking, and I just wasn't paying attention, and I didn't log it away, and, 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 I'm, a, and I'm an idiot is what it is. And, and I know that some of you in Fairfax are kind of chuckling because we've had this conversation going on before, and I know that I have deeply offended some. Please forgive me. Okay, I get it. But w- when in that moment, when you choose to show me mercy, I know that I deserve for you to not talk to me ever again, and you can talk bad to me. I get it. But when you choose to say, it's okay, I don't hate you, you're, yes, you're an idiot, but we can still be friends. In that moment, first of all, that's super humbling. And then it gives me this sense of relief, like, thank you. I'm sorry. You felt that? How many of you have ever been um, pulled over um, by a police officer um, when you were speeding and, and you knew 
knew, you knew that you were guilty. And even if you weren't guilty this time, you've been guilty for it in the past. And so you knew that you kind of deserved this. But the police officer comes up and he's having a good day. And so he just decides that, that, that he's going to give you a little bit of a lecture. And he lets you off with a warning instead of a ticket. Has this ever happened to anybody? That has never happened to me. And I'm actually kind of bitter about it. But I do know that if it did happen to me, I'm prepared. Like if, the, if they were going to give me that mercy, I'd probably fall apart on the spot and be like, thank you. I'll never do it again, right? Because mercy stirs our heart to gratitude and motivates us to change. And so if you are struggling with being willing to surrender to God, if you're wrestling with obedience, especially in that one area, I I just say nothing will move your heart faster than remembering how God has been merciful to you. Do you remember where you were before Christ? Can can you appreciate the judgment that you have escaped? That, That you have been saved from the sin that was destroying you, that was ripping your life apart, that was leaving you empty, and that apart from a work of God, you would never have chosen him. And if he had not raised you to new life, you would still be dead in your sins. And that now in Christ, you do not stand condemned. Praise God. Let your memory swim in the ocean of God's mercies to you. Don't forget. Don't forget. Or obedience just becomes a burden. When it does, run back to what he has done and drink deep of the gospel. Listen, I, I, I get that, that there are times where it's uncomfortable for me to, to, to step out into the light of surrender and obedience. Like if I, if I do that, then it's going to be exposed and I'm not comfortable with it. And yet, Romans chapter 2 tells us that it's his kindness. It's God's mercy that beckons me out of the shadows of hiding and says it's okay to come into his marvelous life. It's not a trap. He is not out to hurt me. He has and he will. He will flood my life with unconditional love and undeserved mercy. Praise God for his mercy. I see gratitude. And stirs my heart and compels me to surrender and to obey. And everything changes when I have to becomes I want to. I mean, we all know the difference between the guy that gives the obligatory birthday card to his wife, right? Like, like, oh, babe. <laughs> Glad I got this in in time. Sorry about the unicorns. That's like all they had left, but I, you know, I, I, I almost forgot. We know where that guy's sleeping tonight, right? Versus the, the, the husband, out of, out of love, uh, has these spontaneous and thoughtful actions towards his life because he wants to. He loves her. So how has God been merciful to you? What has he done in your life? And does that stir your heart? Are you growing in a love and a worship for Christ and a willingness then to surrender with a longing to be like him? I think if we let mercy be our motivation, it's also going to guard against legalism. 
Can I just say, I think this is actually a danger in our churches. I know, like, when, when, when you think legalistic, you don't think harvest. I get that. You're, when you think legalistic, you're thinking, like, judgy, stuffy, old-fashioned, you know, conformity, snooty, hypocritical churches that think drums are of the devil and never want to change anything. I know that's what you're thinking in your head, but I really do think that this, this is a danger for us because we strive for applicational preaching, and we make no apologies for that. This is God's word, and when God's word says it, that settles it, and we want to be obedient. We want to be doers of the word, not just hearers only, James 1, But the danger of applicational teaching is that it can easily slip into pushing for obedience without the motivation and the empowerment of the gospel. And you can package it in hipsters and, and tattoos and skinny jeans and guitars, but if it is not growing out of the rich soil of the gospel, then it's just new forms of legalism. That, that if you, all you hear when you come is do this, do this, do this, try a little harder, be a little better, then you're not reading your Bible and you're missing the heart of it. Paul's appeal to us, yes, he wants us to live differently. Yes, he wants us to be changed. He wants you to be transformed. But it's by the mercies of God that we are not saved by what we do, but by what he has done for us so that we will do what brings him glory and what magnifies his mercy. And so don't let the call to surrender, this call to obedience deceive you into thinking that you can change in your own strength and willpower. This just, uh, you know, like you just got to muster this up and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. No, 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 no. It must be rooted and grounded in the work of Christ with an acute awareness that apart from him, you can do, come on, say it, nothing, nothing. That's his mercy. So if I'm going to surrender, if I'm going to change, I need him. And I just love that he has and he will prove himself faithful. So let mercy be your motivation. But then this, make this decision. Note this. Give your body to God. All right. Um, can I just say, that sounds super weird. Like, I'm comfortable saying, like, give your heart to God, give your life to God. Like, that sounds weird to say, give your body to God. But look at what he says. Look at verse 1. He says, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, why would he say bodies? Here's the deal. The fact that he doesn't say heart means he's trying to emphasize to you that in this worship, worship is not just inward. But it is an outward expression of an inward reality. That if I really do love Christ with all of my heart, then that is going to be evident by my physical actions. What he's really trying to say to us is this. Use your body to worship God. You present it. Think of a, an Old Testament priest, you know, kind of bringing an offering before God, this this word to present is actually the same word used in the same context from chapter 6. I actually want to show this to you. I've got it for you on the screen. Romans chapter 6. Here's what he said. Uh, do not, here it is, present 
Don't present your members, the parts of your body, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members, the parts of your body, to God as instruments for righteousness. He's trying to help you understand this. Take your body, your eyes, your ears, your hands, your feet, all of it. Give it to him. Not, don't, don't give it to sin. And he goes on to help you understand that, that when you present yourself, whatever you're presenting yourself, you become slaves to that. So really, it's a choice. I could present my body to sin, to serve sin, or to serve God. So who or, or what are you serving? Well, we'll know by what your body does. So can I ask you this? Let's just break this down, okay? Do you give your eyes to serve sin? You give your eyes access to watch all of the violence and the sexual immorality that our world celebrates? Is Netflix an act of worship for you or indulgence? Do you let your eyes just kind of wander in lust, looking at what you want to see? Or, or do you let your eyes enslave you to pornography in any form? Or, or maybe that's not your thing, but maybe, maybe, maybe you give your eyes to the comparison game where you're constantly looking around at everybody, looking at how she looks and how I look and, and looking around at what they have and what I don't have and, and then feeling this sense of coveting what I want but I don't have and I'm never satisfied. Do you give your eyes to sin? What about your ears? Do you give your ears to sin? Do you let the thoughts and opinions of your culture be your counsel? Is, is Fox News or CNN, is that like your main filter for thinking about life? Or do you let your friends or voices that contradict the wisdom of God or, or making a mockery of him, is that what you listen to? Or, or are your ears tickled and you find yourself kind of chuckling along with vulgarity and dirty jokes and what the world thinks is fun to listen to? Do you give your ears to sin? What about, what about your hands? Do you, do you take what's not yours? We're just always looking to get and, and looking for an advantage. You even take a paycheck when you know you really, really haven't been earning that this week. You haven't been working hard. You've kind of been lazy here. Or filling your hands with stuff and holding on to and hoarding what I have, and, and being stingy and, and, and unwilling to open up my hands and, and, and be generous and, and give to anyone? Or do you keep your hands so busy with your own pursuits and your own hobbies and the things that you want to do that you have no time to use your hands to serve somebody else? Do you give your hands to sin? How about your feet? Are you selfish with where you go? 
Do you let your, your calendar or your schedule direct your feet to run after your own happiness? I'm filling my schedule with what I want to do. Are you walking down roads you know you shouldn't be in? Like, I know I don't belong here. Or do you let your feet run into the shadows of hiding to try to avoid accountability? Like, I don't really want to walk in the light. I want to be somewhere where nobody knows where I am and nobody knows what I'm doing. Or do you let your feet run away from the opportunities that God has given you to share the gospel and live for his mission? What about your mouth? Are your words used to hurt or, or putting other people down, spreading gossip, just jumping right in and joining foolish talk? You know that this isn't appropriate for God's people, but or do you lie and maybe even exaggerate just to kind of protect yourself or to make yourself look better? Here's what I'm trying to say to you guys. Listen, listen. It is so easy for me to use my body to sin. It is so easy for me to offer up the parts of my body to serve my flesh instead of serving God. But what's he calling for? He's calling for transformation. He's saying, well, I want you to surrender because when we surrender, he changes who I serve. And that I would offer up, I would literally give him my body to serve him. God, I want you to take my eyes. I want to look at what is pure. I want to look at the world the way you see it. I want to see the lost and the hurting, the broken. I want to see these opportunities for the gospel. Take my eyes and use them for your glory. God, I want to give you my ears. I want to listen to your wisdom from the counsel of your word. That's what I want to hear. Come on, I want to hear you, Lord. What about my, my, my hands? You can have those too. God, I want to work. Not, 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 not when everybody's watching. I want to work as unto the Lord. I want to do my best, and I want to use these hands to serve others for the betterment of them. I want to pour into them, and I'm going to open up my hands, and I'm going to give generously because this is an act of worship. I want you to have my hands. I want you to have my feet. I want to walk in accountability. I'm not going to run to the shadows. I'm going to walk in the light. I want to be known, and I'm going to go where you send me. I want to go to advance the mission of God. Take my feet, God. Use them. And take my mouth that I would speak graciously. When the words come out, it's encouraging people. It's, it's building them up. And that I would be bold in sharing the gospel. God, take every member of my body and use it for you. Here's the thing. When God, when God has your heart, he has everything else. So he's saying is, give your body to God as a living sacrifice. Living means active. It's moving. It's not dead, praise God. It's pretty sweet that we don't have to like line up after service and slaughter you all on an altar. You are loved. that I can offer myself as a living sacrifice because he offered himself as the sacrifice who died so that I could have life and I could use it for him. And because he's given me mercy, I give myself to him completely. That this is a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Holy means it's set apart, like set apart like this is what it's for. That's why I have a body. 
That's why God gave this to me. It's that I would use it for the worship of him. Which he says, I love this. He says, this is your spiritual worship. That word uh, spiritual, very interesting word. It's the word logikos, where we get our word logical. And the King James actually translates it as, as reasonable. Your reasonable service. That's a fantastic translation because here's what he's really trying to say. Once you know you have his mercy, the only reasonable response is to surrender your life to him completely. And so my worship is expressed in outward obedience. But something has to happen on the inside. So note this. Here's the third decision to surrender to God's work in you. Saturate your mind with Scripture. Saturate your mind with Scripture. Here's what he says, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So there's a battle between conforming to God's Word and His will or what this world says. And I know, like, we, we, we already know. Like, I don't want to serve sin. I don't want to serve sin. I, I don't want to go there. I, like, I, I've done that before, and it's made a mess of my life. And, and sin destroys. It, it, sin never delivers as advertised. I don't want that. But the problem is, left to myself, I will not naturally discern God's will and live in obedience to him. Because I still have this sinful flesh with a, with a propensity to run after sin like the rest of the world. And Fairfax, we've, we've talked about this. We've used this illustration that, that our heart, my heart, is kind of like a, a stupid shopping cart. You, you ever gotten a stupid shopping cart when you go to the grocery store? This has happened to you. Maybe you didn't even realize. You pulled out, you pulled out a shopping cart. You didn't realize you got a stupid one until aisle four. And, and, and you're starting to realize, like, why do I keep running into the cereal and I'm crashing into people? It's one of those shopping carts that just has a mind of its own. And it just wants to keep veering left. And if I just, like, push this thing and let it go, it's just going to, you know, boom, and run into something. That's my heart. I'm a pretty stupid shopping cart. That unless God changes me, unless there's a transformation, I'm just going to keep veering off course and running right back into sin like the rest of the world. And so, so, so how, how, how can I be transformed? I've got to have that change. What, how is that going to happen? Well, here it is. It's right there in the Scriptures. Look at it. That you would not be conformed to this world, but you would be transformed. How? How? By the renewal of your mind. God has to change how I think. But how does, he, how does he do that? What does he use? Okay, so this is, um, this is a safe place. Okay, this is, a, uh, this is one of those Sunday school answers. It's got to be either Jesus, God, or the Bible. One of those, you're going to be okay with this, okay? So what does God use? Why don't you turn to your neighbor and just tell him, turn to your neighbor and say, he uses the Bible. He uses the Bible. Our churches share this name, Harvest Bible Chapel. There's a reason for that. It's because we have become convinced that this book is the truth, that it is God's word to us. And if I am not going to be changed unless my mind is being saturated in Scripture. And maybe you've heard this, that, that the Spirit of God uses the word of God. 
to conform the man or woman of God into the image of God. That he wants to make us more like Jesus. But he uses this. So don't let this sit on the shelf until next Sunday. And we got to get into this book. I mean, think, how, how much time are you spending in the Word of God? I think about how much time you would hear God's Word if, if this is all that you're getting in a week is, is here on Sunday mornings, and how much preaching would you hear in a year's time? Don't think about this too much because it's super depressing, Jerry. But like if, I know that you preach for a couple of hours, so your people are like doubly blessed in mine. But, but if, if we were to just be here every single week and we're sitting under the preaching of God's Word, you add that up in a year, all right, and, and you're here like every single time. It's not a lot. 35, 45 hours? How long would it take you for you to stare at your phone screen for that many hours? How long would it take you to consume that much TV or that much social media? What I'm trying to say is, man, we have got to get into our Bibles. We've got to let the Word of God saturate our lives and our hearts and our thinking. And so maybe for you, that, that, maybe that's just, hey, you need to start reading it this week. Why don't you try picking it up tomorrow morning? Maybe you need to find a, a, a Bible reading plan on the Bible app. Maybe you need to get a brother or a sister in Christ that's going to help hold you accountable and you can have discussion. You can call them up once a week, 30 minutes. That's all it's going to take. Just let's talk about what we've been reading and wrestle with this together. Or maybe you're doing that. You're on it. You're every morning you're in it. Can I just say, wherever you're at in this, how are you progressing in this discipline of getting into the Word of God? Let's make sure that it's not just a checklist item. That I'm saying, God, if I'm in, I need this. Change my heart. I want to submit to what your word has to say. Because it's only when we're in God's word can you do what he's saying here. Can you discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect? Discerning means you're not just filling your mind with facts, but that you are able to see that I get it. That it's going to become obvious to me. What's going to become obvious? That Jesus is better. When you spend time in his word and let the gospel wash over you, it will become so apparent, so obvious to you that Jesus is more valuable. He is more desirable than anything this world has to offer. So church, can I just encourage you, dive deep into the gospel. Swim in the mercies of God and let that motivate you to surrender, to say, yes, God. Change my heart. Lord, I pray that you would impress these things on your people. We love that you are patient with us. We love that it is your kindness that draws us out of the shadows, that is impressed upon our hearts your goodness, that we can trust you that I do not have to fear. But Lord, if I come out and I step out and I'm going to be exposed, that's not, that's not comfortable. And I know it's not going to be easy. I know that this is not just a one-time thing, that there's a lot of work that you're going to have to drill down into. And I don't really want to have to admit that. I don't want to have to go through this. And yet I know it's necessary. And Lord, I know it's better.
because I believe and have become convinced that you are better. Show us that again, Father. Show us that you love us and that you are merciful to us. As we saturate our minds in that truth, would you stir our hearts to be grateful? And then would we be obedient? Not just because we have to, but because we want to. And we want to be more like you. Lord, we give you praise. You deserve all of it. It's in, in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.